0: A good piece of scripture here from John 21, verses 1 through 19. And I'm going to move through this fairly rapidly. I know not everybody has heard this passage, although many have. It's worth looking at again. And again, it's a wonderful capstone to a a series that we've shared together, a journey that we've made together. And, um, you know, I'm going to just start right here by in verse number one reading. It says that later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. And we're told that several of the disciples were there. We're given the names of five of them, Simon Peter, Thomas, who we looked at last week and we talked about the fear of believing what seems too good to be true, when he doubted that Jesus was alive and how Jesus showed himself to him and swallowed up his unbelief. And um, we, we, we explored that. And Thomas is there, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee. And then we're told that the sons of Zebedee were there. The sons of Zebedee were known as James and John. John is the writer of the fourth gospel. This is the same son of Zebedee, John. So we, we know that Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, um, James, and John, and then there were two other disciples who were there as well. We don't know their names. We don't know which one of them that, that they were. But it says that finally, you know, they had gone into the Galilee after Jesus' second appearance, and there was this kind of, just to set the table up here, Jesus, after the resurrection, would appear and disappear. Uh, there was, he would show up sometimes in unexpected ways and say, and then all of a sudden he'd be gone. And and, of course, that was that was kind of, in his own way, unsettling. They weren't really sure what they were supposed to do. They had gone up to the Galilee, but now what? What do we do now? What does this all mean? It was kind of unclear. And so Simon got restless. Like we all will do at certain times in our lives, he, something wasn't happening. It wasn't clear what he was supposed to do. And besides that, he had failed so miserably anyway that um, he part of him probably just felt like, well, I've got to turn the page on what had been a dis, for me, a disappointing chapter in my life. And we're, we're told here that he says this. And by the way, this third verse, when he makes this statement, it's not a recreational statement. It's not like, I'm going to get away and go on a trip and fish, all right? Simon Peter said, I am going fishing, all right? And then they all said, well, we'll come with you. We'll come too. To, what Peter wasn't saying was, you know, I'm just going to go and get away and f- do some fishing. He was, he was, for him, fishing was his occupation. He was prior to following Jesus, a fisherman. And the place that he fished was the Sea of Galilee. That's what he knew. He had no, no income. That was how he made his money. He had mouths to feed, a family to take care of. Uh, he, Jesus had not specifically forbidden it, so he decides, you know what? I'm going back. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to go fish again. I'm going to go make some money. I'm going I'm I'm to return, and I'm going to do, do what I, I need to do to get by. So Peter makes a decision. He's going to go back, and he's going to go fish again. And the disciples, you can see, they, there's still some influence that Peter has, doesn't he? Because they, they decide to follow him even now. You know, even after he'd really been a disappointment, they still kind of recognize him as a, as a leader. And, and they say, you know, we'll go with you. Why not? And so that's the picture that we're given here. And it says they went out in the boat, but it was disappointing. Why? Because even though they had fished through the early hours, they caught absolutely nothing. These guys were expert fishermen. They knew that sea like the back of their hands. They knew where to fish and when to fish. They caught nothing. It's almost like heaven was saying something to them that you will not find your future by returning to your past. And there are times where the Lord actually will say that to you and me. Perhaps he's speaking that word to some of us even now. It's like he's saying, Peter, whatever else, you know, it's, God has a way of getting our attention sometimes when we look for a door to open and all of a sudden it's like you know, we're going this way, but it's just not working. And, you know, they, again, they were experts, but they caught nothing. I mean, it's, it's emphatic. It wasn't just, you know, they only got a few. They got nothing, zero, not one fish was caught. And they were probably frustrated. They were probably hungry and tired and not in a good place. It was within that kind of a setting Something happens. Look at verse 4. It says that at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He was probably far enough, about 100 yards away. You could see he was a figure, but you didn't know who it was. And you you could converse because the the words carried across the, the water with a kind of an amplification, maybe a little bit of distortion. But... You couldn't necessarily recognize someone from a distance, but you knew that someone was speaking. And it says that at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. They really couldn't tell that it was Jesus. And he called out to them. He said, fellows, or guys, I'll do, have you caught any fish? Have you caught any fish? No. Nothing. Nothing. Maybe they thought, oh, he wants to buy, as some people would do at times early in the morning, buy the fish that were caught. But then, then, but then something happens. Look what it is. And then it says, then he said to them, well, what you need to do is you need to get your net and, I, and you need to throw it out on, on the right-hand side and you'll catch a whole lot of fish. And look what it says happened. It says, then they throw, he says, it says so they did it. And they, they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. it just filled, filled right up. And then we're told something else, that one of the disciples, and it's great to see this because whenever you see this phrase in the book of John, it tells you who it's talking about. You see, it says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, John would always refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> so, so whenever you see that, he's talking about himself. Now, here, this is a great moment here, right? <laughs> because he goes, then the disciple whom Jesus loved. So what he's saying is, I got it before anybody else did. I knew. And there, and it's true. There was something about John. You still, I love to do the character studies in the Gospels. That's where... I just love the life of Christ, and I love studying it. And, and if you trace the, the, the characters that are revealed, the disciples have so much to say to us. John's personality appears to have been a man. He was a man in transition, even in this moment. He had started out following Jesus, very zealous. He and his brothers actually had a nickname. They were called the, the Sons of, of Thunder. That was their nickname. Um, they were noted for their ferocity of temper, which is interesting. And yet when you get done with John's life, do you know what he ends up being known as? The apostle of love. He ends up writing the gospel that most displays the beauty of God's love. The fourth gospel is the stunning display of the love of God that will not give up on this world of ours. And then on top of that, he writes three letters. We call them epistles towards the back of the Bible, each one of those books talks about the love of God and also about loving one another and in fact says, if we say we love God and hate our brother, we have not the love of God in us. And then John actually concludes with this great revelation. He gets this word when he's exiled on the island of Patmos. He's the aged apostle. He lives to be the oldest. He appears to have been the youngest at the beginning. And he ends up having this amazing revelation of Jesus that we call the book of Revelation. And he's the one who pens it. And in that book, if nothing else, is filled with many things. But one thing is very clear, that the very Lamb of God spans the life and times of history. And at the end of the day, he will be the one who is honored as the Lord of all. Now, having said that, John, at this stage in his life, is a man in transition. He also has been a person, listen, who has, is pretty clear in the Scriptures, has a competitive streak. Um... We know that it was probably connected to his family because there's one incident in the book of Matthew, I think it's the 20th chapter, verse 21, where we're told that this is maybe be appropriate in light of, you know, this day, for we're told that the mother of James and John brought her two sons to Jesus. Somehow she shows up and she says, we would like to make a request of you, Jesus, And it's one of those rare moments where you get an insight into the the family mission statement, right? She says, basically, I have a request of you. And Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do? And she says, well, we've been thinking about this. And um, when you establish your kingdom, and we believe you're the king, and when you establish your kingdom, what I would like, and I can imagine the other disciples just kind of watching and listening to this conversation, what we would like to do, if you would be willing, is to put one of my sons at your right hand and the other one at your left hand and let them be basically your top two assistants when you set it all up. <laughs> and Jesus basically, I, I imagine he chuckles, and then, but it doesn't say that. It just says, well, you have no idea what you're asking me to do. But but it's just fascinating insight into the family. It was an ambitious family. Why do I say that's an issue? Because John It was a part of John that probably wanted to jump in the water first and get to Jesus before anybody else. But do you know what he did? And again, you see the trickle of love that will ultimately become a stream in this man's life. He turns and he looks and he looks for his wounded brother, the man who had such a devastating failure, his friend. And he says to him, and we're told here very clearly, with a degree of enthusiasm but just directed to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as he tells Peter that, the Bible says that Peter goes, and, and it says that he, he puts a tunic on, a, an over, a, a, a garment over him. He had been, as we're told here, look what it says. He had been essentially un, uncovered with the exception of some type of a, of a, of a modest garment. He jumps into the, the water and heads to the shore. Peter, for a moment, forgets um, all of his failure. And he just is excited that it's Jesus. It's been rare, but Jesus is there. And John says it's him. And Peter, he's not going to wait to get the boat in. He dives into the cool Galilee waters. And that initial shock in that early morning water, which must have hit him, it was immediately overcome by the adrenaline and the excitement to just get to see Jesus. He didn't know what he was going to say, but he just wanted to get near him. And it says here that he heads to the shore. Look at verse 8. And the others stayed with the boat and pulled the the loaded net to the shore. For they were only about, oh, 100 yards from the shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. And just kind of let this sit with us, especially if we're kind of hungry. Here, fish (laughs) cooking over. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread just there. Ah. Hmm. All right. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. And so Simon went aboard and he dragged the net to the shore. And there was about, oh, we're told, this is great. The Bible doesn't just say, and I don't know why the Bible does this. Every now and then it'll just, it does, it, it, it's a reminder to me that it's not trying to sell us a bill of goods. It'll throw these little pieces of, it's like, it doesn't just say, oh, it brought up this big catch of fish. Oh, about 150. No, there were 153. 153 large fish. And somebody counted those fish, by the way. And yet the net hadn't torn. And now Jesus said, come on in. I want you to have some breakfast. It's cooking right in front of you. And it says none of them disciples dared to ask him, what are you doing, Lord? Who are you? Why are you here? What's going on? What do you want to do now? Nobody, Everybody knew, but no one wanted to say anything, Right? And then Jesus served them bread and fish. It's a different kind of communion, isn't it? He shares them this meal. Enjoy this. And then, this we're told was the third time that Jesus had appeared since he had risen from the dead. And then the conversation that everybody knew had to happen. Jesus turns and he says, Simon, I'm going to ask. I want to ask you a question, Simon. Simon, son of John. The older version says Simon, son of Jonas. Do you love me more than these? Perhaps he was kneeling. He says, "Do you love me more than these?" What was he talking about? What did it represent? Does um, the fish? What were the fish that was his his former life? Uh, He basically says, do you love me more than what you're now returning to? Do you love me more than these? And Peter says to him, Lord, you... you." And again, he had to muster everything in himself to say it because he couldn't deny the fact that he had been a denier, that he had distanced himself from Jesus when it mattered most. But he still says to him, Lord, you know I love you. In my own way, I love you. That's what I hear him saying. And Jesus says to him, well, then I need you to do something. I need you to feed my sheep. Then it says that that Jesus said, Simon Peter, I I want to ask you again. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Um, Then I need you to feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Then the third time, Simon, son of John, look at me, listen to me. I ask you this question again. Do you love me, Lord? And it says here that we're told that he was, this third time, verse 17, that, that he, Peter was hurt, that Jesus asked him hurt. And when the Bible puts it in there, it's telling us right now, and it was showing up. It's like, well, what are you doing, Lord? Why are you doing that? Why are you asking me that again in front of everybody? Lord, you know I love you. You know everything. You know I love you. You know I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. This is not what I've called you to. I've called you to something different. I've called you to love my people. I want you to, be, I want you to touch people, guide people, feed people, tend to the ones that I've given you to tend to. Don't, don't, don't pull back into something. I don't want you to go back there. I want you to go this way. If you say you love me, feed the ones I love. There's so much here, it's beautiful. These are the final things I'll say in our, in my contribution with the Fearless series. I'm just gonna put them up on the board fairly rapidly and we'll close with this overall. But i want to suggest this, loved ones, that inevitably we are gonna have seasons in our lives where we experience failure, I think that's obvious. Um, maybe our failure won't be as devastating as Peter's. Remember Peter's failure, I mean it was an absolutely crushing blow. It was not just a singular denial. It was a threefold denial that had been so absolute, so painfully shameful that even after the resurrection had occurred and it's clear that Jesus was... alive. He still had a hard time forgiving himself. Because I mean, after all, when they had asked him, because he had made the great statement, right? He said, look, it, no, everybody forsakes you. I won't. I'll die for you, Jesus. And Jesus said, you, 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 you don't know what you're talking about. When the right pressure is applied, you'll crumble, because you don't know what you're about to walk into. I'm telling you, Simon, Simon had been willing. Peter was willing to fight for Jesus. But once that initial adrenaline dry sort of settled down, and he got exposed to peer pressure, and Things weren't making sense, and spiritually he was disoriented, and there was all kinds of things happening at levels he had no clue about. He couldn't handle it. When the, when the girl says to him, I, "Aren't you one of those those Galilean followers of Jesus?" He says, "I don't know. I, no, I don't know the man. No, no, no." Then another time again, "Yes, you are. You, you know, I don't know him." Mean, it was this this continual distancing, and and in fact, look at this uh, this phrase here, because again, by that third time. when when it says that Peter finally says, you know, I do not know the man. In that moment, it says that he pulls back and he starts swearing, cursing. Let it, all his past words, right, come out. There, nobody who follows this Jesus would say that. And then in that very moment, the, the rooster crows. And then he turns and he sees Jesus being let out and he looks at him. And it's boom, 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 one, two, three. All of a sudden, it's just meltdown, meltdown time for him. Powerfully devastating moment. Because he was a man who prized loyalty. He lo- that was his big thing. And here in the area in which he took the most pride, he had crumbled and broken commitment, betrayed in his own way, the one who had loved him so faithfully and whom he did love, but he was weak didn't know it. And, I'm, and oh, there's in that psalm, this is a psalm that we're going to close with in the third stanza. I did want to point something out, if you can. I know the words are a little small, but look what it says here. It says in this phrase, look at the phrase, because it's a very poetic description. We're going to end with this. But I'll talk about it a little bit later. It says, The dark is creeping in. This is Peter. How suddenly, look at this phrase, the way that this, this poet cr- writes it and clarifies this moment of betrayal. How suddenly my vanity betrays my speech. What was his vanity? It was, it was he didn't want to be perceived as being associated with Jesus. So in his moment of desperation, he speaks in a way that would make it completely clear that he had nothing to do with the man. And then he goes on to say, the man is not my friend, notice, what a foolish lie. Powerful. And I can not help but think that I think that a lot of us at times can relate in this life to failing to meet our expectations. Some of us experienced tremendous failure, um, and some of it has been a bitter failure. Um, sometimes we might find ourselves failing in areas that we feel we should have done a lot better in, and we we haven't lived up to our commitments or even our own sense of what we believe loyalty to the Lord would look like, and we've Sometimes those are the hardest failures to get by is when we have nobody, at the end of the day, nobody really to blame but our our own self. Because when Peter wanted to, honestly, he probably had a hard time sleeping because he couldn't really blame anybody, just the guy in the mirror. But secondly, and this leads right to it, is that and when it comes to fear, listen to me, sometimes the hardest fear to get past is the fear of our own weakness. Do you hear what I'm saying? the fear that we don't have what it takes. One gets the distinct impression from the method of Jesus that as Jesus is working with him, that, that Peter was afraid of his weakness, that he could never be the man Jesus wanted him to be. It, it, it wasn't just what he had done, Peter thought, but it was what it was. See, I think it got beyond that. I think it got, there, there's a point where somewhere along the way, a person can cross a line from saying, this is what I've done to this is who I am. This is who I am. And you know who I am? I'm not your guy, I'm not the guy I thought I would. Look, it's almost like he's saying, look, Jesus, okay, I get it. You're you're alive. I I mean, that is a miracle. The cross was not the end. You're alive, and, and that's good, and I'm blessed by it. You were who you said you were. That's the truth. We believe it. It's settled. But you know what? I was not who I said I was cuz who i said i was i was proven not to be who you said you were you were proven to be who i said i was i was i am not nor can i be i am not your guy find somebody else that's what i want you to do cuz i'm not i'm not good enough i'm a weak man i'm a weak man i have flaws i crumble i don't stand do you see it i'm a fisherman and a fisherman is an okay thing, but it's not okay if God's calling us to be something else. And in this case, God said, to, to "Peter's had a different plan. He had a different plan for him." Now look at the way Jesus works with him. Do you think it was coincidental that He's given three questions? No, it is not. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three, and that third one, as I mentioned, was an emphatic denial of. Breaking with him. But you know what Jesus does? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. One. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Two. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Three. And then look what else he says. Jesus says at the bottom there, he says, Oh. Maybe he didn't say, Oh. Maybe this isn't a healthy (laughs) question. while we're on the subject. And now Jesus does something he rarely does. He looks down through the corridor of time, and he says, Simon, you, um, I'm gonna tell you something that's very true. I'm gonna tell you the truth. You were, when you were a young man, you were very self-willed. You did what you wanted, you went where you wanted, You were your own man. You clothed yourself. You went where you wanted. He says, but I'm going to tell you something. When you're older, you're going to, someone is going to dress you. Someone is going to take your hands. Those hands that had so said, I don't know the man, those hands. Yeah, those hands. You're going to put them out. You're going to say, I follow him. And you're going to die. You're going to die for me. You're going to let them bind you. And they'll take you. John says it very vividly at the bottom there. In the last verse, he says, Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would glorify him. And we know that Peter ultimately is crucified. He's killed. Jesus said, when you're an older man, what's going to happen is what you were not able to do in your middle years, you're going to do now as an older man. You will give your life away for me. And Jesus said it in front of everybody. And then after he finishes saying that, he he says to him, so with that understanding in mind, I want you to follow me. Will you follow me? Love me more than these and follow me. And I, I, I see Jesus working with him, and that leads to this final, final piece. And when it comes to our fears, and I'll just kind of put it this way, that a key for moving past our fears and failures is trusting God's word over our lives. And for some of us, this is absolutely critical because there are different stories being told about who we are. And I'm not talking about external stories. I'm talking about our own stories, our own scripts. Um, They're based on our experiences. A lot of times they're based on what we've gone through, walked through, been shaped by habits we've been formed by, fallback patterns that we have, ways of being that are more reflective of of something that the Lord is trying to change in us. Um, and God's trying to call us into a growing place, an expansive place, a breakthrough place. And a lot of times we get stuck in a story. And that story for Peter was, I'm no good. I'm, I'm not your guy. I've got real problems. And uh, you, you can find somebody better than me. And Jesus saying, I have a plan for you. And my love for you is unwavering. And I see, I look into your eyes, just like he looks in every one of ours, and he says, I see not just who you've been, who you even are now. I look at you, and I see what you will become. And I call you, Simon Peter, to follow me. And it's as real as if he said it to every one of us. He knows our flaws. He knows our shortcomings. He knows our pains. He knows our questions. He knows the areas in which we feel absolutely devastated by, our fallback patterns, our secret sins. He knows it all, and yet he still calls us to come and follow him, and he tells us, I know you love me, and I love you too. And it's like the, the, we have to decide, what are we going to accept over, what is the word for our life going to be? And I will say this, we need, we need to accept the word of Jesus over our lives. Oh, the grace of God that calls us to the growing place. This is the word for every one of us. This is God's word for every one of us. Come and follow me. And for some of us, embracing his word is to say, yes, Lord, I open up my heart to you, maybe for the very first time. I wanna follow you. For others of it is, Lord, you know who I am. You know where I stumble. You know my willfulness and my pride. But if you'll have me, I'll come. I will follow you. Help me to do it, and he will. So we're going we're gonna to close with this, the psalm that I referred to, that haunting, this is called The Haunting, and I'll tell you what, it's, this is great. Uh, let me explain the song as we close the service out. The song is uh, in many ways a tracing, a poetic tracing of Peter from Gethsemane, when, when, when right before Jesus' arrest to the point of restoration, and you'll see it in the psalm. It's woven through. It's beautiful. And, and there's a word for you and me there too, right? But we're gonna, what we're going to do is I'm going to go ahead and pray. We'll have our time of giving when we bring, many of us bring our tithes and our offerings, and then we'll close with the final song. Again, that captures the essence of what we've just shared together. So let's pray. Lord, I want to, again, just thank you for the time that we've shared together, and I thank you for this word, this example. You know, I know Peter didn't want to fail, but because he did, we got to see grace and every one of us, Lord, gets to connect with your heart at a deeper level because this man crumbled, and yet we watched you restore him. It's what you do. You do it in men's lives. You do it in women's lives. You do it in people who are, if we just open up our heart to you, Lord, you can do amazing things. A lot of times we just got to let go of our anger. We've got to surrender our pride. And sometimes we've got to surrender our sense of failure and, and receive the grace of God like a gift. And Lord, if there's some of us here who need the forgiveness of the Lord or need your grace, breathe on us, we pray. And let this closing song kind of be like the benediction for us, the good word that you have for us. I pray blessing in life, goodness and grace, hopefulness for tomorrow, breakthrough. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.